This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by Masterclass. Now, no one today is more persecuted than gamers, of course. And uh, this is particularly true in China, a country whose approach to video games can best be described as a war on gaming. President for Life Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party have been quite open about their view that video games are poisoning the minds of China's youth, making them unfocused and weak-willed. And state media has even referred to gaming as spiritual opium, which hits extra hard if you know anything about Chinese history. Yeah. Uh, one government official was quoted as saying last year, teenagers are the future of our motherland. Protecting the physical and mental health of minors is related to the people's vital interests and relates to the cultivation of the younger generation in the era of national rejuvenation. It's, uh, it's, a lot, it's too wordy. In America, we have the quote, uh, teenagers scare the living shit out of me. And it's much more, mm -hmm. you know, concise. I appreciate it much more. Yeah. Now, despite Chinese video game companies like Tencent raking in loads of money worldwide, China clearly doesn't think the profits are worth it if it means creating a generation of fat and lazy young men, unless you are on their competitive esports team, in which case this will be the only thing in your life. Yeah. And you better stay good. The second uh, you get uh, your KD drops below uh, two, you are banned yeah. from video games. You're done. Uh, so over a year ago, they forced Tencent and other companies to implement strict controls limiting gamers under 18 years old to just three hours of gaming a week between the hours of 8 and 9 p.m. on Friday through Sunday. Can't even finish a whole fucking quest run. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's you're squeezing a lot in. Uh, they even used facial recognition technology for age verification. And on top of all of that, the Chinese government hasn't issued licenses for new video game titles in over a year, which has forced thousands of gaming companies out of business. So, yeah, being a gamer in China right now, it's probably the worst time and place to be a gamer since the invention of video games. I curse the day the Chinese invented video games. Is there no end to this relentless persecution? Mm. Well, actually, there might be. The more short-sighted among us may have looked at what Xi Jinping was doing to video games and concluded that this man simply wanted to destroy gaming. But China's all about the long-term goals. And President Xi's enemy was not gaming, but rather gaming addiction. Mm -hmm. And folks, he's done it. Xi Jinping has cured gaming addiction. What a wonderful surprise. That's great. Uh, here's Reuters. China has resolved the problem of game addiction among its youth, a report co-written by the country's top gaming industry association said, in remarks likely to be welcomed by the regulations battered sector. The comment came from a report by the China Game Industry Group Committee, affiliated with the online game publishing regulator, China Game Industry Research Institute, and data provider CNG. CNG said on its official WeChat account on Tuesday, Chinese regulators in September last year stepped in with new rules barring anyone under 18 from playing video games for more than three hours a week, a stringent social intervention that it said was needed to pull the plug on a growing addiction to what it had described as spiritual opium. The move came as part of a broad regulatory crackdown against the Chinese technology sector and was seen as an effort to also tighten controls over the gaming industry, which was hit soon afterwards with a lengthy title approval freeze. CNG said the report found that more than 75% of young players now played games for less than three hours a week and praised Chinese game companies for achieving remarkable results after setting up systems to curb game addiction. They did it. Weirdly, they though, gaming addiction. They, everyone's just uh, playing three hours a week, but all of a sudden there are so many more gamers in this house that are logging in from different devices. Interesting. Yeah, more gamers, but less time. Yeah. But it's just remarkable. I mean, gaming addiction's only been the DSM for, what, two years? It's already been cured. Yeah. What is the Chinese... Con what, what can't they do over in China? 
They're kicking our ass. Look at those rail lines. They got trains that don't even do anything. Yeah. I can't even take a train to San Francisco without getting off and getting on a fucking bus halfway through. People don't, you know, in, in China, they don't even need games because as in America, gaming, part of gaming is is a time waster in between travel. Ridiculously long, pointlessly uh, cumbersome travel. Yeah. You uh, can take a bullet train from Beijing to anywhere yeah. in mainland China and get there, uh, you know, with not even enough time left to finish a quest. Yeah, a Nintendo Switch wouldn't even last the amount of time needed to take a train from good old Los Angeles just to San Luis Obispo. So, yeah, what, uh, does this mean that gaming is back in China? Yeah, uh, open the floodgates. Well, not so fast there, kiddo, but it no. does look like hope might be on the horizon. Along with this report from industry regulators, the state-run newspaper People's Daily recently published a report on video games featuring a noticeably softened tone. The report points out recent efforts by the EU to support the development of video game technology, and they say that video games clearly aren't just entertainment, but have, quote, extremely high economic, technological, cultural, and even strategic value. Uh, they emphasize that the gaming industry has accelerated the development of all kinds of technology relevant to the wider tech industry, and they say that international online gaming could help promote Chinese culture to the world. All pretty obvious China things. China number one. Yeah, obvious things that uh, I think were probably realized once they uh, saw the effect monetarily that such bans and uh, withholding of licenses Where'd all that cost. money go? Oh, shit. That was from video games? You mean we can't Fuck. just make a bazillion movies and uh, have people go see them? Well, I don't know. But yeah, this is almost a total 180 from China's stance on video games just one year ago. And potentially great news for gamers in China who have been living in excruciating agony, being able to only game for three hours per week. Be careful, we have a new one called Marvel Snap, and it is uh, taking the, the world by storm. Look out, China. Yeah, uh, but if we were to guess, and this might be a stretch, but one particularly noteworthy development in gaming during China's gaming freeze has, of course, been the so-called metaverse. Um, maybe China has gotten a gotten bit by the same metaverse fever that's been sweeping the Western gaming industry, and they don't want to get left behind. Yeah. Also, it seems like a technology that is very easy to uh, just peel back the hood on and say, well, look at that data. Well, let's just mm, take that and build off of delicious it. Delicious data. Yeah, let's just build off of this, but do it better and faster because we don't care about uh, intellectual the, the property or the oh, health of our workers. That too, yeah. Yeah. So they've already taken over the world with TikTok, and if this metaverse thing really is the next step, like Mark Zuckerberg keeps saying, China doesn't want to be left behind. The metaverse is an ex exciting new way to harvest user data from all <laughs> over the world, and there, there's no metaverse without gaming. So China, I'm sorry. I, they're doing this to get into the metaverse. It has to be. Yeah, because if they don't get in there first, who will make sure that there are no pictures of Winnie the Pooh around? Yeah. And they also probably, like, they saw what Mark Zuckerberg has showed so far, and they're like, this looks like shit. We can we can do a better version of that. In, in a like, weekend. Yeah, in a weekend. Yes. So that'll have our best guys in the job. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's our guess for what's happening. Look out. I do love the, the Chinaverse. Uh, I don't believe that it will ever happen, but I love the rumors that are swirling in the tech industry that Mark Zuckerberg is going to get ousted next year. Never uh, going to happen. He's got too much stock power. Absolutely won't happen, but I love throwing that company into further chaos for absolutely no reason. Well, we got plenty of meta news to cover today okay. as well. Yay! So, <laughs> Fun! Uh, yeah. Speaking yeah. of the metaverse, the company pushing it the hardest, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, continues to get caught engaging in practices that seem 
just pretty damn evil. At this point, just keep doing like, it uh, on the way out. Oh, that's evil that they're doing. Yeah. And this week, the investigative news site The Markup revealed that for its latest act of evil, Meta actually teamed up with another legion of supervillains that most people also rightfully hate. The tax services industry, a.k.a. H&R Block and all their counterparts. We love the tax services industry, don't Nothing we, I love more than my favorite social media website partnering with my favorite tax preparedness Nothing software. Nothing I love more than paying someone else a bunch of money to uh, fill out my mandatory government documents it's, that it, I have to do. It's so, it's, this is specifically funny because the people that are uh, most upset about anything having to do with taxes of the IRS are boomers, and they are absolutely the ones who have been uh, buying and selling things on Facebook Marketplace without uh, properly accounting for it. Uh, because, honestly, fuck it, you shouldn't have to, but seriously, uh, they're the ones that should be worried. Yeah, so this is the uh, this is the crossover that gets it wrong, folks. And surprise, this team up involves harvesting user data in ways <laughs> that feel like they should be illegal, and in fact are illegal in lots of places outside the U.S. Yeah. So let's read from the markup. Major tax filing services such as H&R Block, Tax Act, and Tax Slayer have been quietly transmitting sensitive financial information to Facebook when Americans file their taxes online, the markup has learned. The data sent through widely used code called the Metapixel includes not only information like names and email addresses, but often even more detailed information, including data on users' income, filing status, refund amounts, and dependents' college scholarship amounts. The information sent to Facebook can be used by the company to power its advertising algorithms and is gathered regardless of whether the person using the tax filing service has an account on Facebook or other platforms operated by its owner, Meta. God damn, they really just can't, you, you can't trust They anything. are addicted to data. Yeah, not only should you have never trusted this data in the first place, but also uh, just years after being exposed for uh, harvesting the data down to just the most minute to yeah. build a case around each person. The idea that they're like, uh, they got, they have a son or daughter that's pretty desperate because they have uh, six figures worth of student we'll loans. We'll implement that into the algorithm. Is just fucking, at its core, evil feeling. It's just very creepy. Yeah, um, user data is uh, Mark Zuckerberg's personal spiritual opium. He can't get enough. Again, it's making him very rich. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Everyone's wrong. The future isn't the metaverse. The future is Generation Z and everyone else going, ah, fuck. We should probably take control of our data, but not in the way that fucking Bitcoin wants to. That's a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, other than maybe the private health insurance industry, the private tax filing industry is probably the greatest example in the U.S. of an entire industry that really should not even exist, or at the very least, not on nearly such a massive scale. Another thing that Europeans look at and go, why? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the taxes, you, you look at how they do taxes in like the U.K. or Europe and like, oh, well, that... Wow, that's fucking easy. Yeah, uh, everyone's <laughs> seen the meme, I'm sure, where it's like, uh, the government knows how much you made, and you know how much like, you made, but you're going to do this little dance every yeah. year. And if you're off by even a little bit, um, someone's going to have to have a conversation. It's a it's a lovely dance that is yeah. orchestrated by companies who profit off of it. So yeah, the, the tax filing business, they're, they are middlemen. They are only considered widely essential in this country because of lobbying that ensures that they are. Yeah. For the majority of Americans, all of the tax information that they submit to the IRS every year is information the IRS already has. Do you know how you get one of those little forms in the mail? One of those is already at the IRS. Also, they just want you to send the other one like, to make sure that they're the same. I'd be interested in seeing the actual data, but I would guess it 75% or more of uh, tax filings are incredibly simple and just one sheet. Yeah, I mean, the People only- People usually, typically in this country, have a single income, 
uh, when you're of an age where the taxes are going to actually it's impact only, yeah, you. It's only like the, the top 5% or maybe even less of this country where you have enough like... Random ass- shit coming yeah, in. Yeah, enough like assets and shit where like you need, you should need a tax preparer who knows their shit. Like to- it's insane to think about my... The rest is all forms. Like my dad growing up worked for one company his entire life and would pull out a fucking thing fill of, filled with like paperwork every year. And it's like you literally get a form and it says how much you made yeah. and it said how much they took. And then, but why is this so fucking complicated? So yeah, filing taxes should be as easy as looking at all the info that the IRS already has and just making any necessary corrections. But instead, our tax forms are overly complex documents that companies like H&R Block helpfully figure out for you for a fee. Mm-hmm. Money, please. So we've known that these companies are parasites for a long time. But uh, this business with Facebook, it is a, a new low. I just love the the, crossover that gets it wrong. It's so on its face, just such a great example. It's just H&R Block creating a problem that they themselves solve by you paying for the key to unlock it. Yeah. It's literally like, yeah, taxes are fucking easy. We literally wrote a script where you just type in the numbers that are on your sheet and then it does the work for you. But we've also, we built that and put the reasoning for that in place. Yeah. The IRS for years has been like, no, we totally could simplify this whole thing and remove all these middlemen. But that uh, would d- d- destroy our company. Well, the, the IRS, they would love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the lobbyists from H&R Block, they go to Congress to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. That's how they get the block in their name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this news also highlights an unsettling aspect of online advertising that most people don't think about. We all have profiles floating around on servers of companies that we've never even heard of, containing all sorts of information about us. They know what our social media profiles are, what our phone numbers are, what our phone device IDs are, even without us providing that kind of information. Because all of this incomplete information about us gets aggregated and it is extremely simple to put it together. You can create a brand new profile on Facebook and the ads that you get are still targeted at you because Facebook knew who you were before you even signed up thanks to their advanced matching system. And they easily connected the information that they have on you to your new profile based on the basic info that you provided knowingly or unknowingly. And also, look, it's a decent app, but Instagram is just taking all that information, giving it to the company that owns it. Uh, Yeah, the Instagram ads are, it's it's a meme. They're terrifyingly uh, targeted. It is. In in some cases, I feel like I've seen advertisements for T-shirts that were created by an algorithm for me and only exist in that one scenario. How did you know I like that? Yeah, because it's like it's just off enough to be like it took some clip art and just with a slogan and like put it there. Anyway, thanks to tax filing services, the information that Facebook and the companies that it buys information from have on you now officially includes stuff like how much money you make, what your investments are. Your filing status, a.k.a. whether you're married or single. How much you're using your health savings account. uh, The names of any dependents, a.k.a. the names of your children. And how much you're paying to send those kids to college. Um, So, yeah, this is, of course, not something that the tax services tell you about when you're using their services. And, And when reached by the markup, several of these companies claimed they had no idea how much info they were sending to Facebook, which is actually somewhat believable. Yeah, uh, they... There are wide nets being cast on both sides of this because they want any bit of data that you are willing to give up, even if it is not useful to the exact thing you're using, they will take it. We'll take it. It might come in handy later. Uh, You're giving it to us. So the little tracker, it's like embedded in all these websites. Uh, It's called the Metapixel. And it's just kind of something that companies add to their site code when because 
Meta tells them it will target their Facebook and Instagram ads at potential customers. Yeah. It's the same reason whenever you look at a product online, you immediately get ads for that same, uh, that same product. Mm-hmm. Um, serving ads for tax services at people who are currently doing their taxes seems a bit less logical, but the Metapixel is just one of those best practices things. Like, oh, make sure you embed that. Yeah, it's also like... We don't know what it sends, but uh, we we hear it's useful, so... Uh, their, their advertising will work because the advertising will be like, are you sure you're getting the most back for your tax filing? And it's be like, well, I could spend, you know, $150 on this H&R Block thing, but they're going to get me $1,000 back. So technically I've made $850, even though that was my money the entire time if they're giving it back to you. Yeah. Anyways, the general vibe here is that Meta and the companies that use the Metapixel hoover up so much data that even they're not fully aware of what they're collecting, but they're still collecting it. Why not? And it seems like, at least in this case, Meta and these tax filing companies may have inadvertently violated U.S. law. <laughs> Whoops. Oops. That keeps happening recently, too, a lot. Just, yeah. uh, oh, laws? Uh, despite our tax system being a privatized hellscape, the IRS has pretty strict laws around data collection. The tax info can only be collected for limited purposes, and anything beyond that requires disclosures and consent. We all obviously sign consent forms that are way too long to read all the time when we're online. But in this case, according to someone who actually wrote these laws, if these companies didn't explicitly state that they're providing specific aspects of your tax info to Meta, they may have committed a crime. So hopefully someone in our government actually does something about that. Uh, It seems like a slam dunk that could really hurt both Meta and the tax companies, which would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the woman that wrote this law, she's just like, they would literally, under our rules, they would have to say, like, we are collecting your income to send to Facebook. We are mm-hmm. collecting your number of dependents to send to Facebook. Like, it would it'd have to be really, really specific. And since these companies didn't even know what info they were collecting, uh, it sounds like they did not provide that kind of uh, disclosures. So, also, again, it seems, seems very like a con- slam dunk. And can very convenient to uh, not ask or tell what kind of info they're getting. Uh, again... Uh, if you if you want a really eye opening experience, I cannot suggest enough the 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 book Mindfuck. It was written by the guy who oh, wrote Chris the code Wiley's book, yeah. wrote the code for Cambridge Analytica, uh, and says exactly what it was able to do, what they were harvesting with it, how they were using it, and how uh, incredibly fucked up it is and could be exploited, and definitely is being exploited. So absolutely, um, that is just a small taste of that, and I think that uh, you'd be very shocked to read some of the things that happen in there. Or less shocked if you watch this show. Yeah, yeah, because we, we talk about it, yeah. But speaking of how Facebook and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race, Meta recently unveiled an AI that they've been working on called Cicero. That's cute. Mm-hmm. And Cicero has achieved something kind of terrifying. AIs playing board games better than humans has been a thing for a few decades now, starting with chess, moving on to more complex games like Go. But Cicero took on something much more complex the strategy board game Diplomacy, in which players play as early 20th century great powers <laughs> in the lead-up to World War I on a big old map of Europe and the Near East. And unlike chess and Go, Diplomacy requires lots of communication and negotiation between up to seven players who form alliances, share intelligence, and spread disinformation. Uh, forging trust is essential to winning this game. And Meta's AI has been winning a lot! This seems uh, like a very specific kind of uh, learning program that they would be interested in. A learning computer. 
Yeah, it seems pretty targeted for them to be focusing on, but <laughs> whatever. Here's, here's Gizmodo. In diplomacy, seven players compete to control the majority of supply centers. Players are constantly interacting with each other, and each round begins with a series of pre-round negotiations. Crucially, diplomacy players may attempt to deceive others and may also think the AI is lying. Researchers said diplomacy is particularly challenging because it requires building trust with others, quote, in an environment that encourages players to not trust anyone. In other words, for an AI to win at diplomacy, it needs to both understand the rules of the game efficiently, but also fundamentally understand human interactions, deceptions, and cooperation, and know how to string together sentences without sounding like a malfunctioning dishwasher. Cicero more or less did that. Meta says Cicero more than doubled the average score of human players across 40 anonymous online diplomacy games and ranked in the top 10% of players who played more than one game. Cicero even placed first in an eight-game tournament involving 21 participants. At every stage of the game, Cicero would model how other competing players were likely to act based on their game performance and text conversations. Seems like it could be used for uh, real-world situations, but what do I know? Yeah, potentially very relevant real-world situations. Meta's researchers say that not a single opponent questioned whether Cicero was an AI, and they say that at least in one instance, Cicero was able to change a human player's mind by proposing a mutually beneficial move. Terrifying. And this was all accomplished by basically just feeding the AI data from over 125,000 games of diplomacy containing over 12 million messages exchanged between human players. As for what the end goal of this research is, Meta says, quote, while Cicero is only capable of playing diplomacy, the technology behind it is relevant to many other applications. For example, current AI assistants can complete simple question-answer tasks like telling you the weather, but what if they could hold a long-term conversation with the goal of teaching you a new skill? Okay, buddy. Sounds good, Meta. Did you... But did you really need to demonstrate this very practical capability mm -hmm. via a board game about global domination that takes place right before a world war that killed 40 million people? Well, thank God. Seems France, like a bit of a stretch. Franz Ferdinand is continuing down the parade route and everything is proceeding <laughs> at... Where is he going? <laughs> this is some Skynet shit. Yeah. Cicero is... Uh, yeah, Cic Cicero... They're going to give Cicero the nuclear codes. What, what's, We're all dead. What's interesting about this is like in a completely like practical and non-scary way, I think the first like NFL team that adopts this and literally runs every play in a game based off of what an AI says um, has the potential to win... Uh, it will be like Bill 20 years Belichick ago. Bill will never allow that. It, well, he, he wouldn't. It's going to take some like, it's going to be an experiment with a team that isn't good at all. It's going to be like Moneyball. 20 yeah. years ago when they're like, look, I got a, a, a math brain. I'm going to do math and make this a winning team. Whereas this is going to be, I, I can feel it because well, there was a huge American uh, football is very based off of uh, playmaking. Unlike, you know, baseball, soccer yeah. and all that kind of stuff. There was already a, a like, very noticeable change in how NFL football was played as soon as the coaching staff and players were at an age where they had grown up playing Madden. Like yeah. it, it noticeably changed uh, the playmaking and whatnot of the sport. Lots of uh, quarterbacks doing rushing yards these days. Oh, another recent fun example, not football, but uh, a guy who grew up playing uh, NASCAR video games. I think we talked like, about it before. Yeah, He like rode the wall. He was, <laughs> he was going to lose anyway. So he's like, fuck it. And literally, it was one of the short tracks. And so he just hit the wall and gunned it yeah. and won the race. Yeah. Like, because he, he slingshotted himself around because yeah. everyone had to slow down. And he He's said like, that he learned, learned it playing, in a video game. Yeah, playing GameCube growing up. Like, just an incredible time to be aging. Yeah. Watching all these kids uh, use these skills, uh, hopefully for good. But I, for one, welcome uh, Cicero as our, our new overlord. 
But speaking of democracy, or diplomacy rather, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this episode is sponsored by Masterclass, who offers several classes that you may one day find very useful while negotiating with Mark Zuckerberg's AI. Yeah. Uh, with Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn about filmmaking with Werner Herzog. Martin Scorsese, Spike Lee, Ken Burns, and James Cameron. You can improve your cooking skills with Gordon Ramsay, Wolfgang Puck, and Roy Choi. And you can learn from some of the greatest minds in music like Tom Morello, Herbie Hancock, Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman, and Dead Mouse. With over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. And uh, one I recently started watching was uh, the Interior Design Masterclass by uh, Corey Damon Jenkins, because I have a very old house and I want it to look better. This old house. And, um, yeah, it's uh, a lot of, like, really interesting takes on what interior design is and uh, the thought that goes into it. It's not just about putting cool shit in your house. It's about, yeah. uh, it's about telling a story through the interior of your home. I, I am very much excited for your eventual HGTV show. So thank you for that. And thank days. you, Masterclass, for uh, giving you the skills necessary. Yeah. So Masterclass is also accessible on pretty much anything. Your phone, your web, whatever, your web browser, uh, your smart TV. And they offer classes on a wide variety of topics, all taught by world-class instructors at the top of their fields. And each class is broken into individual lessons, and they're usually around 10 minutes long. Members can explore at their own pace, and each class is supported by downloadable materials, class guides, recipes, and more. These are cinema-quality classes that give you unparalleled access to a renowned instructor. Lessons range from specifically showing you how to execute a technique to an instructor's insights about their craft that can be translated across many fields and disciplines. That's something we bring up all the time is just seeing someone at the pinnacle of their career. The advice that they can give you about things is yeah. uh, universal, yes, not just It's specific. not just relevant to the specific topic. Uh, a new product that Masterclass is offering that's actually really exciting and intriguing is called Sessions. Sessions offer a deeper dive over a month-long period and include projects to submit to a teaching assistant for feedback, as well as the opportunity to learn alongside a community of peers. And this is available to subscribers at no extra cost. There you go. Uh, we highly recommend that you check out Masterclass. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one for free. Mm. Go to masterclass.com newsday today. That is masterclass.com newsday. Terms apply. Awesome. Well, let's get back into the news now. And and yes, we once again need to update you on everything going on over at Twitter uh, because the muskification and the Elonization of Twitter continues at a rapid pace. And I'll start with an update on probably the biggest brain idea of Elon's many big brain ideas, letting anyone who pays $8 get a verified checkmark. Now, this was a terrible idea. And anyone with a normal sized brain saw what was coming including many inside Twitter itself who soon found themselves without jobs. Lots and lots of people immediately started spending $8 to do some high-level trolling, including impersonating various Twitter advertisers in ways that those advertisers very much did not like. $8 verified check marks were quickly paused, and last week Elon said that they would be back, but uh, we're going to take some time. Two weeks. Uh, two more weeks. We just need two more weeks. Uh, and then we will uh, have the, the check marks. will be back on November 29th. Now, of course, that was before Elon issued an ultimatum that roughly half of Twitter's workforce turned down, leaving Twitter uh, pretty damn understaffed. So it's understandable that Musk has revised his timeline on when the $8 check marks will be back. On Monday night, he wrote, Holding off relaunch of Blue Verified until there is high confidence of stopping impersonation. 
We'll probably use different color check for organizations than individuals. Uh, creating even more problems that you're not solving in the first place, and also just uh, more flags to wave for people who are simping for you. Right. But uh, yeah, it sounds like when and if the $8 check marks come back, people who bought theirs will have a different colored check mark than the celebrities and the brands, which makes sense, but also kind of defeats the entire purpose of the $8 check marks, which was basically making dumb people feel like they're famous and important, even though they are neither of those things. I, 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 I see where he's going with this, and I think I have an idea that he's trying to get to, but he hasn't got to yet. Uh, and this is just based off of the past month or so of uh, Musk and who he's been talking to. But I think what would be a better plan is if Musk gave every single person on the website uh, a specific badge that they had on their profiles and only the people who paid $8 didn't have the badges. And he'd have to make it a color that is very highly wow. visible to anyone that's browsing on the website, maybe like a yellow color. Um, and, and just being able to being able to look at people and judge them based on uh, certain characteristics, I think, is something that fuck. I've just accidentally created anti-Semitism again, haven't I? Yeah. Well, it's it's going around these days. Yeah. But yeah, different colored check marks. They would eliminate the need to click on someone's profile to find out if they got their check marks. Which I've been doing a lot it. recently. So yeah, bullying these fucking losers will become much easier. I love this idea. This yeah. is a great idea. Mm -hmm. Not Ricky's idea. No, no, no. My that's, idea is bad. That's Hitler's idea. Yes. I'm talking about Elon's idea. Yeah. I'm just saying what Elon's eventually getting to. Right. Yes. Speaking of great ideas, though, Elon has mentioned this several times already, but he sees the long-term future of Twitter as X. <laughs> Suck it. The everything <laughs> app. Uh, which translates to Twitter essentially becoming what WeChat is in China. And a huge reason for WeChat's success is its integrated payments system. So Elon really wants to bring payments to Twitter. And look, this is a great idea. And, and it's clearly something that Twitter's previous owners would have already implemented if they knew anything about digital payments. Yeah. Are you there yet? Yes, you got there too. Okay, good. Yes. It, Jack Dorsey, the guy who created or ran Twitter, um, he also started a little company called Square or Block, however you want to look at Block, it. It's called Block it's 3D. Uh, they are the makers of the Cash App. Huh, what does the Cash App do? Uh, they also have the uh, widely used Square point of sale system. So, so I guess he did actually know a lot about payments, probably more than Elon, who hasn't been in the payments business for like 25 years. And could have implemented it so seamlessly. You would think. Yeah. Well, for some reason, it never occurred to Jack how easy... Simple Jack. That's <laughs> that's his name. Uh, how easy it would be to integrate the two businesses that he was running. And it just needed someone with the clarity, the the biggest brain on earth to yeah. come to the decision that this would be... Someone uh, with, uh, you know, clarity of vision, clarity of purpose. Someone, you know, an ideas guy. A man guy. who knows what he's doing and, and isn't just constantly changing his mind about things. I'm an ideas guy. He, he very much is. Elon... Yeah. Elon's Elon will fix it. Yes. <laughs> anyway, here's what Elon said the, about all this a few weeks ago. I think there's this transformative opportunity in payments. And payments really are just the exchange of information. From an information standpoint, not a huge difference between, say, just sending a direct message and sending a payment. They are basically the same thing. In principle, you can use a direct messaging stack for payments. And so that's definitely a direction we're going to go in, enabling people on Twitter to be able to send money anywhere in the world instantly and in real time. We just want to make it as useful as possible. I, I feel like um, the banking industry might might not like 
They might not find the whole thing as, as simple as Look, he just described I, it, but okay. I'm a first market guy and I use PayPal and Venmo more than anyone, but that Zelle app that came out of nowhere makes things a lot easier. The ones that the banks actually use themselves? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's extremely simple. Like I, it, my parents, uh, there's no barrier to entry anymore because it's just automatic. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's different aspects to that. The amount of security loopholes or yeah. security hoops that you got to jump through to... Uh, you know, log protect into your, your customers. Yeah, the amount of encryption that it yeah. goes into that stuff. Um, it's not simply like add money tag to tweet. But anyway, here's the Verge's Alex Heath. Uh, more recently on Tuesday of this week, Twitter will let you send crypto to accounts alongside normal money. Elon Musk says we will also make it easy to do crypto. Musk told employees during an internal Q and A yesterday, a recording of which I obtained. You should be able to easily send money to anyone in Twitter with one click. He said. The payment side of things will probably be more valuable than all the rest of Twitter combined. And yeah, sure, it you in a perfect place, you should be able to securely send money on Twitter if you want to. I I think that's handy Hasn't in certain Facebook scenarios. Had some version of this. For well, they've like had like four years. different versions that they that they've tried to sell. What it sounds like it is he's just trying to bring Dogecoin. But right. that's the thing is Cash App already did the crypto and regular fiat thing, and the fact that it wasn't integrated should tell you that this is a bigger issue than you think it is. Yeah. But again, if this was as simple as Elon claims, it would have already been done. Uh, and Jack already has the company. I know they're friends. Maybe they'll work out some kind of deal here. Maybe Elon will buy Square. We don't know. Maybe but, they'll uh, trade companies, yeah. At, currently, Elon would have, to, would have to build something from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, that's also while trading, trying to put out all of other the abundance of fires that are currently burning around Twitter, where it is also significantly understaffed and is also heading into two major holidays. Yeah. And severely, severely in debt. Uh, yes. <laughs> now, there's also the problem that multiple companies have tried to recreate uh, or that they've run into trying to create WeChat outside of China and also failed at, including WeChat itself. I, you know... America isn't the same as everywhere else. We're, yeah. we're very dumb. This might just be something that only really works in China. Yeah. Uh, plus, given how much of a dumpster fire Twitter has been lately, does it really seem to you like an app that you or anyone else would want to put all their credit card or banking information into? Yeah, let me just into? link my bank. There we go. Cool. <sighs> Anyways, moving on to the biggest Twitter news this week, which we already mostly covered, but that was unbanning Donald Trump after conducting a Twitter poll about it, a very scientific Twitter poll. A lot of people pointed out in the wake of this decision that just three weeks earlier, which feels a lot longer ago, but really wasn't, Musk had tweeted the following. Twitter will be forming a content moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints. No major content decisions or account reinstatements will happen before that council convenes. Hmm. As you might guess, no such council ever convened. But when presented with this apparent contradiction, uh, Musk replied with, a large coalition of political slash social activist groups agreed not to try to kill Twitter by starving us of advertising revenue if I agreed to this condition. They broke the deal. These are made-up demons that he is fighting in his brain. Yeah. These, and any actual uh, protest that he's seen is justifiable and a direct reaction to things that he has done. No, it was the activists. The activists did it. And look, big if true, Mr. Elon. Sir, uh, yeah, main thing here, if true. M Musk should be able to just name these apparent extremely powerful activist groups, but so far, no names. Yeah, and powerful. also, 
uh, the claim that he was saying that the the poll was botted, and it's like you literally have the data. Please it's your website. It. Yeah, <laughs> uh, could it be that advertisers themselves saw with their own eyes what a shit show Twitter was quickly becoming under Musk, and then pulled out of their own accord, as several advertisers have openly stated? No. No, they totally would have kept advertising on Twitter if not for those pesky, all-powerful activist groups who definitely entered a binding agreement with Elon, which they broke. Yeah, and w- tell me who they are. Let's, let's, who were those activists, by the way, Elon? This whole month has been, a, has been a, uh, a wide opening, I feel like, for people just being like, Online isn't real unless you believe it is. And on, or Elon definitely believes it is. So everything that's oh, yeah. happening on his website really affects well, him. Well, he spends all day on Twitter. When he says he's working 90-hour weeks, he is posting for uh, at least 80 of those hours. And he is seeing hours and others jokes because he is directly referencing uh, things that we've definitely said and others have said, which is, does me tweeting all day count as working? Uh, yeah, a lot of people have been saying that. Uh yeah, he. Uh, if you scroll his tweets and replies, it is. Uh, I'm sorry, the man is not actually working. He isn't doing jack shit, and this is on top of running like five different companies. It's convincing me that CEOs don't actually do jack shit. Um, it is again. Which is it's probably the case. It's older generations falling into the traps that they warned us all about, and they are now the ones that ne- literally need to go touch grass. Yeah, Elon should touch some grass. That's true. Dude, I'm telling you, when I hang out with my dad, it's it, it's. Just never off the phone. Never. And him and others, bo- other boomers like him. Damn. Get off it! <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you start your life in diapers, you end your life in diapers. Now, these days, you start your life just holding a fucking iPad yeah. all day long, and you end your life uh, glued to an iPad yet again. Luckily, in the middle, you're doing something worthwhile. Is you start your life on Coco Melon, you end your life on InfoWars. Or maybe Coco Melon, depending or, on how things <laughs> yeah. go these days. I just like the colors. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. You know, Elon talked about unbanning Trump way back at the beginning of this whole saga over half a year ago. So none of this is any surprise. He thinks banning people is wrong. Except for apparently one very notable exception, which is interesting. Uh, Sam Harris asked Elon whether he would unban Alex Jones in the midst of all this, to which Elon, Elon replied, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. What? I I hate it. Anyway, he clarified further when Kim.com pressed the issue of Alex Jones' suspension. Uh, Elon said, My firstborn child died in my arms. I felt his last heartbeat. I have no mercy for anyone who would use the deaths of children for gain, politics, or fame. Which, like, okay, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's certainly a take. Yeah. And at least you have some moral standards. But also, it, it's, it's a perfect example of older people not having any fucking empathy for anyone yeah. in the world unless they have directly experienced the trauma that goes alongside the decisions that their or their decisions allow to happen. It is a weird thing, and you see this a lot with boomers and Gen Xers, uh, especially men, where you know something bad happens to a woman or a girl, and it's like, well, as a father of a daughter or as a husband to a wife, this is why I feel it's like. So if you weren't married to a woman or the father to a little girl, like you saying you wouldn't feel as strongly about this? Is that I, I'll this say is all just based on personal experience? There's definitely a level of truth to the fact that, yes, if someone has had a lived experience, they are going to be more emotionally attached to it. But on the other hand, just stay the fuck out of people's lives if you don't have that experience. Yeah. So anyways, 
So Elon has a very tragic and personal reason for not letting Alex Jones back on Twitter. And it's perfectly understandable. And not to make light of Elon's experience here, but that's basically saying that he's all about free speech until it affects him personally. Again, this has been the same thing that they keep saying all over again. It's like, it's so frustrating. Uh, He's also made clear in various other ways over the past few weeks, as we've talked about before. But it's interesting to see it spelled out in this specific way. And it's also interesting to see a lot of his right-wing fans realize that Elon isn't exactly the free speech uh, absolutist that he claimed to be. Yeah. He's just like them, but in this case, they don't like that uh, his reasoning behind this specific decision uh, is different than their own. It's, uh, yeah, it's the same thing of when a, when a boomer is uh, all of a sudden riddled with the medical debt of their dying spouse or something, where it's like, ah, maybe the system is broken. Also, if, if you have this much of a problem with harm coming to children, you should really check out what's happening in the lithium mining industry. Uh It'll blow your mind, Elon. If I was running a company that happened to uh, depend heavily on lithium as a resource for my product, it, it would it would definitely make me reconsider my my choices as a businessman. If if there was perhaps I don't know hypothetically a rampant child labor happening in the lithium mining industry. I mean, they're not your kids, obviously. That's what I was just so. going to say. You, you've taken one <laughs> yeah. step outside of this and made him try to understand that other people's children can suffer too. Right. So interesting stuff. Uh, Elon, of course, describes himself as a centrist, even though the overwhelming amount of his interactions on Twitter are with conservatives. It's usually that that crying sideways, crying, laughing sideways face. Um, And also, yeah, he actively encouraged his fans to vote Republican in the midterms like two weeks ago. He's not a fucking centrist. He's a conservative. If anyone tells you a centrist, they are a conservative who won't admit it. They're embarrassed conservative. Yes. So he's clearly trying much harder to appeal to conservatives than to liberals and leftists. And this was on full display in a tweet where he uh, laughed about some hashtag stay woke shirts that he found apparently while just digging around Twitter's closets. Uh, hard at work down there at Twitter, just going through going through all the closets and the cabinets. As many pointed out, these shirts were the idea of his good buddy, Jack Dorsey, who made the shirts uh, in response to the 2014 Black Lives Matter protests in Ferguson back when being woke still meant being aware of racial injustice and not just whatever conservatives don't like. Uh, and Jack Dorsey is from Missouri and apparently felt like a personal connection to what was happening there. It was a, a really clumsy rollout. The shirts are cringe. I'll grant you that. Sure. But like, it wasn't... Uh, it's the, not like they're were, releasing them right now. Yeah, these have yeah. been sitting gathering dust for like seven years. Yes. Anyways, as Cody Johnson of Some More News wrote, woke originally basically just meant aware of racial prejudice. Twitter was vital to highlighting the flaws in mainstream coverage of the brutal police responses to the Ferguson protests. To Musk, woke just means the mind virus making people be mean to me, a hideous man. Musk, of course, doubled down when all this was pointed out, though, posting links to the legal decision exonerating the cop whose actions kicked off the Ferguson protests, completely ignoring that police brutality and racism were on full display during the protests themselves. Sir, it has been long enough that there are multiple documentaries you can watch about this. Yeah, he's relitigating Ferguson, which was about... Almost a a decade ago. Yeah, it was almost a decade ago. There was like a hundred different fucking... Uh, police brutality uprisings ago. Yes. And he's uh, he's like, well, actually, if you read the the DOJ report, um, you know, that guy got killed and there was nothing wrong with how they did it. The so, system found the system did nothing. Yeah. So interesting stuff. But uh, let's move on to Twitter's skeleton crew of a workforce. Um, on Monday, Musk went ahead and conducted yet another wave of layoffs that seemed to affect mostly Twitter's sales teams. That, they would seem important. They clicked yes. And what did it get them? Fired 
three or four with days no later. severance. Yeah, but, <laughs> you, you've fallen for the oldest trick in the book. But uh, later on Monday, after purging uh, in total nearly two thirds of Twitter's workforce in just three weeks, he announced that he was finally done with layoffs, and Twitter is now actively recruiting for roles in engineering and sales. After everything that's happened, it'll be interesting to see how many hardcore people show up to work under this man's whims, but we shall see. Uh, from the looks of it, and based on uh, some pretty believable accounts, most of the people still working at Twitter are stuck there on H-1B visas. I was just uh, about to <laughs> say the H in H-1B stands for hardcore. Yeah, they literally uh, had to click yes because they would get um, they would get deported. Their lives from, would be uprooted. Yeah, they would yes. be deported from the United States if they yes. did so. They are here only because of work, and, and that gives employers tremendous leverage over them. The... The shock that I will not have when I find out that all of the recruiting efforts for Twitter and any other tech company that is actively firing people, uh, that they would uh, specifically hire people with H-1B visas uh, or bring people over on new visas, not shocking at all because they are buying someone who cannot leave. It's also funny that uh, Twitter, without, you know, without the open door immigration policy we have for educated, uh, skilled laborers, Twitter would probably be completely fucking dead. Um, and it's, it's just ironic that Twitter is being kept alive by immigrants while Elon's biggest fans uh, actively hate the fact that we let in it, so many skilled workers in this country. It is beyond disappointing that among many of the things that we learned during the pandemic, that the most vital part of a functioning society is uh, people who are on the front lines, whether that is doing the hard work on entertainment or websites or the supermarket or whatever. And typically those are the most disenfranchised people, the people that are uh, used as straw men in political arguments that they have no reason even being involved in. Yeah. And it's like people like Elon are the ones that are saying that immigration is ruining uh, the country or well, whatever. he's not personally saying that because he himself is an immigrant. But the, but the political his, party that he represents. fans, the people yes. that love Elon, uh, they don't see the uh, the disconnect there. Yes, when someone else does it, uh, that's bad. And when they do it, it's just good business. Yeah. Anyways, in addition to all of Elon's other cost-cutting measures, it sounds like Elon is deploying a particular money-saving trick that former President Trump was also quite fond of, uh, simply not paying people that you owe money to. Yeah, that'll save you a lot of money. And that this one simple trick, just don't pay. They have to come fighting for it, and that takes time and, and money out of their pockets. And when they come asking for money, you know what you can do? You can offer them a horse. And Elon yeah. knows all about that. Mm -hmm. uh, here's Engadget. Elon Musk is refusing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in travel bills accumulated by Twitter employees before he took over the company, the New York Times has reported. The company is on a drastic cost-cutting campaign, and Musk has reportedly issued orders to slow or even halt payments to vendors and contract services. The move has sparked complaints from Twitter insiders and vendors who are owed millions of dollars in back payments. Can you imagine, like, you've got your big pile of receipts from uh, going on a business trip. You've pulled up h Hundreds block. of dollars, and uh, you submit those to, uh, uh, to the accounting. And, uh-oh, uh your company just got bought by uh, Elon Musk. And, uh-oh, the entire accounting team just got fired. And, uh-oh, it's now company policy that you're not getting that money back. Sorry. If I were you and this was my uh, problem, I would, I would immediately just consider all that money gone. Yeah, well, but uh, labor attorneys just salivating. Oh, Every, yeah, Everything yeah, yeah, that yeah. happens in this company. Um, but, yeah, if, if you're like if you're owed like fifteen hundred bucks from Twitter for travel expenses, just assume that money's gone and let uh, a 
you know, an attorney deal with that in the class action. Uh, yeah, he also, like, when he forced all of Twitter's engineers to come to a meeting on Monday, I think, like, a lot of those people are based in, like, New York and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, no, it has to be in person. The meeting was, like, 20 minutes long, too, apparently. Sure. But uh, he's like, so, uh, yeah, if you're not based in San Francisco, you got to fly here from L.A., New York, whatever. And so the people, they're, they're like, okay, so you want me to book a flight to San Francisco right now, like, same day, be there in, like, Four hours. Take the Hyperloop. And uh, and uh, and I am never getting paid back for that money. That is just, I'm going to have to eat the cost. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the same day plane ticket, the, you mean the one that I'm going to have to pay for? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, don't we have uh, people on staff that do all this uh, travel booking? Oh, we don't anymore? No. Hmm. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll come up with a, an AI for that. Just go to You know, kayak. someday your Tesla will be able to drive you all the way from New York to LA. I just bought a little website called Expedia. It's going to be rolled into X, the everything app. Ugh, everything. It's got money, social messaging, travel booking. Yeah, and when it collapses, it'll be, uh, you know, it'll ruin everything. So anyway, that's where things are with Twitter currently. Um, but, you know, it's never ending now. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, knew, yeah. I knew it was going to be chaotic, but I even even we, Elon's biggest haters, did not expect things to... I, I was like, oh, it'll be, you know, a little bit of growing pains. It'll kind of suck. It'll be lame. But whatever, it'll be, you know, stable. I didn't, I had no fucking clue things would be this ridiculous yeah, all the time. I, I didn't think it would take or be like this long lasting and this chaotic, but I am satisfied that not, that everything hasn't gone normally because that would have been the most upsetting is yeah. if nothing bad happened and he like was kicking ass. Yeah, he's not kicking ass. He is doing the opposite of kicking ass. Um, so yeah, there's that. Also, uh, I don't know if we'll cover it in Weekly Weird. We'll get to Weekly Weird later in uh, this weekend because obviously it's a holiday. But uh, there's so many funny things coming out of the legal process dealing with FTX that uh, is fascinating in ways that you would think even amateurs running a business would look at things and say, well, that's weird. Um, so, yes, uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving, however you wish to celebrate. Yeah. We'll be back for Weekly Weird News sometime later in the week or this weekend. In the meantime, please watch our most recent videos over here. Thank you to everyone who uh, said that they donated uh, to the Colorado Giving Fund. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, check out both the videos over here. And we'll see you soon for another one. But have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bok, bok.